Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Before I begin my scripture reading this morning, I want to thank Tom and Lisey Binky for doing one of the hardest jobs that we ever have in the church. Anybody who thinks it's easy to light the Advent candles needs to come up here and try it at some point. As a matter of fact, we'll be calling on you because the ministers are too chicken to do it, actually. But I want to say, you know, I, I love, you know, one of the things that I saw from Tom and Lisey Binky this morning was a living, incarnate example of tenacity. And I want to thank you all. And, you know, and you know, at, you know just, to be a, just to be a preacher for a minute, you know, there's kind of a teachable, preachable moment here. If, you know, when, we, when things look easy, when things are easy, we take them for granted, don't we? Well, God had been talking to his people if you look at the book of Romans, if you look at the Old Testament, for the, for the entire history of earth's existence, from the beginning of time, through the prophets, through the law, he had been talking to his people, and people still took him for granted. And it is because of the tenacity of God that we have Christmas. It's because God wouldn't give up, and because he knew that we still didn't get it, and we were taking him for granted, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, not only to talk to us, but to live our lives. So I want us to think about that today as we move through the rest of this service. Our scripture lesson today comes to us, again, from chapter 2 of the book of Luke. And this week, as last week, we're kind of extending our understanding of the Christmas story by reading some passages that are not traditionally associated with the Christian, with the Christmas story, but are absolutely critical to our understanding of what happened at Christmas. And so, if you would look at Luke chapter two, beginning in verse thirty-six, and we're going to continue through verse forty. And this is uh, this is uh, found in your bulletin. It's in your pew Bible. It's on the screens behind me. But please follow along as I read aloud, beginning in verse thirty-six. Remember that. Mary and Joseph had just brought Jesus to the temple where they had met Simeon, and now they are meeting another person enthusiastic to see Jesus. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we know that this is your word. We know that it is completely true and that it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. After the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph did their duty under the law of Moses, and they took their newborn son, Jesus, up to the temple. 
And there they were enthusiastically greeted by Simeon, the old man who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel and had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. But the newborn baby also got another enthusiastic welcome from an old widow named Anna. Now, who was Anna? Well, Luke gives us a very basic bio on her. But this profile, brief though it may be, is significant. And Luke always includes these kinds of details for a reason. First of all, her name, Anna, means grace. Did you know that? Anna means grace. And she was a godly widow of great age. Now, it's interesting. Luke knew about her family. She was the daughter of Phanuel. And he mentions that as though some of his readers may have known or heard about her father. He knew her tribe, the tribe of Asher. And that's unusual because the tribe of Asher was one of those Israelite tribes that was lost to history 500 years earlier. So she's a remnant of that, a remnant member of that great lost tribe. But most importantly, Luke describes her as a prophetess. Now that's interesting too. Luke doesn't explain why he gives her this name. But we know it's a term that, the, that Luke, and that neither Luke nor the other biblical writers throw around casually. A prophet is someone who's been given a special gift of the Holy Spirit to reveal God's divine truth to his people. It was an office, or it was a gift revered by the people and mostly reserved for people like Moses or Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah and, frankly, mostly men. And this simple fact draws attention to the critical role that women played in the coming of the Savior and in the story of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, her cousin, the mother of John the Baptist, and now Anna, the first prophet of Israel to announce the coming of the Messiah. In a culture that often minimized the critical role of women in big events, Luke made sure that their names and their roles were not forgotten. Now, by the details of this description, Luke is implying that this is a real person. You might have known her, or you might have known her family. You might have seen her in the temple or heard about her. In other words, this really happened. And you can check it out and confirm the details for yourself. That's why he gave those details. So what was Anna doing? Well, we don't know if, like Simeon, she was specifically waiting for the appearance of the Lord's Messiah. We do, we do know that she was utterly immersed in her devotion to God. Every day she was with God. And I don't mean that she was quote-unquote with God in the sense that she was just in the temple. I mean that she was with him in worship, in prayer, in fast, in fasting, surrendering every moment, turning her will, fasting and depending on him for her very sustenance. She was so close to God 
that anybody who wanted to get to Anna had to go through him first. And I don't think that the Almighty could have made a move without Anna knowing about it. She was immersed in his presence. She was so wrapped up in his presence and devotion to the Lord that everything she did was consumed by by worship and prayer and fasting. So then Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus showed up and all of a sudden her worship transformed from fasting and prayer to thanksgiving and proclamation. And it reminds me of something that Jesus would say some 30 years later. In Luke 5, 33 through 36, when the the bridegroom arrives, you don't fast anymore, you celebrate. And Anna's shift was right on target. The bridegroom had arrived. The king is here. The wait was over. It's time to celebrate and it's time to tell everyone what happened. Now, how and why Anna is called a prophetess, we'll discuss that a little later. But the fact that she is called a prophetess is a reminder that the Christmas story is not just a New Testament story. Rather, it's an all-Bible story. Because the Christmas story begins not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, with the promise of Messiah's birth. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, Behold, the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And then through the prophet Micah, he had declared the location of the king's birth. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And then through the prophet Isaiah, he specified the conditions under which the king would be born. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. To which the gospel writer Matthew responded, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, today in reflection on this story, I want to think about the reason that Christmas is important. In fact, I want to think about the ultimate reason why Christmas matters and what it means to us. I'm talking about the centerpiece of this story, which is the humanity of Jesus and the miracle that we call the incarnation. Now, what is the incarnation? The Gospel of John began with a declaration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
From the beginning, John wanted us to know that the story of Jesus of Nazareth was not just a story about a teacher or a prophet or just a holy man. Jesus of Nazareth is infinitely more. And the gospel is the story of the word of God made flesh. The theological term for word becoming flesh is the word incarnation. It literally means to be made flesh. Texans understand that because we've heard the words chili con carne our whole lives. What does carne mean? It means meat. It means flesh. Incarnation means that he was born in the flesh. Now that may sound a bit vivid, but at Christmas, God the Holy Spirit performed the most mind-blowing biological and spiritual experiment that the universe has ever known. To make God truly human, and to make a man capable of being fully God. He reconciled sinful humanity with sinless deity. He took truth and made it substance. He joined the material and the immaterial, and he stitched body and spirit together. And the word became flesh. In 170 AD, one of the earliest Christian scholars, Melito, the bishop of Sardis, expressed it like this. He appeared as one of the sheep, yet he still remained the shepherd. He walked to the earth, yet he filled heaven. He appeared as an infant, yet he did not discount the eternity of his nature. He put on the likeness of a servant while not impairing the likeness of his father. So what does all that mean to us? Why does that matter to us? Well, first of all, it means that God wants us to know him. The book of Hebrews says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christmas was a tenacious God's way of saying once and for all, I refuse to be unknowable. My children must know me. And so God came to us in person, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He was saying, they must know that I am real. They must know that I am holy and they must know that I care. Our friend Max Lucado has written a beautiful reflection on this. He said, God became man. While the creatures of the earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. But but Lucado says, but don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the muck and the mire of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. But the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of the incarnation, is not just that Jesus Christ was born. It was that he lived a human life. He lived the life that we live, an authentic life human life. And the last verses that we read today are some of the most important verses of the Christmas story. 
because they flesh out the incarnation. Look at verses 39 and 40. They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. Luke says something very similar in verse 252. He says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. These two incredibly important verses remain at the center of what we believe about Christmas. Because if we leave the baby Jesus, a baby in the manger, and we don't let him live and we don't let him grow up, then we miss the point of his coming all together. Because the birth is only the beginning. If Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, then that means something. What does that mean? God with us means that he had parents and a family. It means that he had a hometown. It means that he had a culture into which he was born. It means that he was a little kid. He was a teenager. He was a young adult. He grew up. It means that he had to deal with people. He had a job. He had a life. It also means that he, he wept because his friends died. That he knew people with terminal illness. That he knew what it was like to be a refugee. That he knew what it was like to live under a tyrant, to live under a dictator. That he knew what it was like to be misunderstood. And he knew what it was like to be hated and spat upon. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. And he knows what it's like to die. The book of Hebrews again declares that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Hebrews also says that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted and because of that he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, Christmas is not just a celebration that a prophecy was fulfilled. It's not just a celebration that a baby was born to a virgin. Christmas is a declaration that God lived an authentic, real human life. Because of that, he knows the limits of our endurance. He knows what we're up against every day. He knows our weaknesses our circumstances, our situations, because he's been through it. He gets it. God became flesh so that he could prove that he really understands us. This is the God who emptied himself to get down into the mud and the blood and the monotony and the stress of everyday human life just to prove that he loves us. God loves us, and he lived our life and died our death to prove it. The holy became human so that humanity can become holy. The Son of God gave up everything he had, including heaven, 
became a human, took the penalty for our sin, and died on the cross so that we get everything that he has. His joy, his eternity, his relationship with the Father. That is what Anna was celebrating. That is what made Anna worship. That was the answer to Anna's prayers. When Anna met the baby Jesus, everything that she knew in her heart as true became real. God really can do anything. And he's done the impossible. God really will send a savior. And here he is. God really does care. And here's your proof. He's not a symbol. He's not a myth. He's not just a memory. But the real savior. Who was born a real baby. Who grew as a real boy and became a real man. To become the real king. The prophecies not only came true. They became real to Anna. And Anna's reaction was, the, was that she went from waiting to worship. She went from fasting and prayer to praise and proclamation. We don't have any idea why Anna was called a prophetess before now. But a prophet is someone who's given God's truth and reveals it to his people. And that is exactly what Anna did next. She not only witnessed the Messiah's coming, she became a witness to his coming. Luke says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's response to Jesus, to the miracle of Christmas, was to worship him by giving thanks and telling everyone that the Messiah is here. The king is in our midst. You see, it was God who was born in that stable. But the point is that if we leave him in the manger, he will never become the savior and king in our lives. So Christmas is more than just a celebration that Christ is born. It is a celebration that the king is in our midst. He is alive. He loves us. He has a plan and purpose for us. He has the power to make a difference in our lives, in our world, now and forever. So let me ask this question. Is Christmas just a day to remember Jesus' birthday Or is it a day to celebrate that the king reigns in our lives? What is Christmas to you? Is the coming of Jesus just a pleasant memory? Or is it a present reality? Over the last few weeks, I've been challenging you to think about some questions that have been raised anew for me by the Christmas story. For example, we read that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and asked you, what are you pondering this Christmas? We also read that the old man Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and I asked you, what are you waiting for God to do? 
Anna's reaction to the coming of Jesus provokes a few more questions, so I want to add a few more questions to your Christmas homework. Anna was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. What are you praying for this Christmas? When Anna saw Jesus that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. What are you celebrating and giving thanks for this Christmas? From, the mo- from that moment on, Scripture says, she began to tell everyone about Jesus. What are you telling people this Christmas? Is he just a pleasant memory? Or is he a present reality? Is he just the babe in the manger, or is he the king in our midst? Heavenly Father, we come today because we don't want Christmas just to be the celebration of a pleasant memory. We want, to be, we want it to be a celebration that the King has come, that you are in our midst, and that you will come again. Lord, challenge us to ponder, to wait, but also to pray, to celebrate, and to tell this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.